Welcome to Breaking Free Podcast, your recovery, your way. I'm Tiffany. And I'm Liv. You're in the right place if you want to explore what it means to be in recovery, to challenge the things that keep us small, and to learn how to thrive independently. Together, we are Breaking Free. Just a quick reminder that while I'm a nurse and a coach, and Liv is a coach, recovery advocate, and a writer, we are not doctors. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not intended to be a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you need to, please, please see a doctor. The Alana Club of Portland is proud to sponsor the Breaking Free podcast. Your recovery, your way, is at the heart of our approach to recovery support services. Unity Recovery, an inclusive recovery community organization serving all of Philadelphia, is proud to support the Breaking Free podcast. Recovery is possible. Find your path to break free. Welcome, everyone. Today, we're going to be talking about shaming language and unhelpful recovery terms. I can't wait to hear what Liv thinks about this. She's actually done a lot of writing about it and is an advocate for really um, trying to reduce stigma and shame in the recovery community through the use of language. So Liv, what are your thoughts about this? Oh my God, I got a million thoughts. <laughs> um, you know, and I when I when I mention this, like my overall objective is to is not actually because I think when we approach topics like this, sometimes there's the calling out versus calling out thing, right? Mm, is calling in. There's the, yeah. Mm-hmm. So the, so I want to you know by calling it in is just by gently saying to somebody, hey, you know the reason why we're talking about this today is because we we want people to think twice about the language that they're using. Mm-hmm. And more often than not, this language is so common in certain pathways of recovery. Mm. You know, we just band it around. We don't think twice about it. It's used by, you know, people that have been in recovery for a long time. So we don't mm. think about questioning it. Mm-hmm. And some people aren't like a natural questioner. I am because mm-hmm. I, I just have that kind of brain. I'm very curious. But mm-hmm. um, there have also been occasions where people have, you know, I've read Robert's research, for example, and, you know, and thought, oh, you know, using the word addict or junkie or is actually, you know, considered to be quite stigmatizing mm, and mm. it affects people's access to treatment. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So let's give a bell for Robert Ashford's work. We'll definitely um, include that in the show notes. And there is an episode where we re- uh, we interviewed him as well. So check that out for sure. Yeah, so let's talk about some of the recovery phrases that we hear. Mm, so here's mm-hmm. some. Dry drunk. Oh, yeah, dry drunk. Mm-hmm. Um, recovery light. Sober, but not in recovery. Mm. Chronic relapser. Mm. And I heard this the other day, and it really bugged me. Someone said, this guy's been asking me for help, and he's been in tears, but he can't get it out of his own way. Mm, yeah, they can't get out of their own way. You know, it's funny because I just celebrated 21 years. and um, You need I, a bell for that. Oh, bell for me. Yay. Um, and I posted on social media, and someone said, someone commented, way to get out, uh, good job getting out of your own way, or way to be, stay out of your own way for so long, you know? And uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't really bat an eyelash just because I've heard it so much, and it doesn't really, um, I know that that's not part of my um, story anymore, but right. um, that's because I've been in recovery for a long time, and I've cl- reclaimed my own right to my story and my own autonomy. Um, but I think so many people are in a place of being new to recovery or even um, feeling like they can't 
come into recovery because they mm. don't identify with these terms or because of the stigma and shame around it. So yeah. I love that we're talking about this. Yeah. And let's let's say what the problem is with that. You know, telling someone to get out of their own way is it kind of diminishes their autonomy. And I'm saying there's something wrong with them. Right. Mm-hmm. That they don't know how to do this. That there's um, something that, that, that they inherently are, um, there's something about them inherently wrong that will prevent them from being able to be sober, being And to take direction, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think sometimes there's a sense of we need to... Um, what's the phrase I'm looking for, you know, to kind of like bash them down in order mm. for them to get the message, mm-hmm. you know, um, like, and, and, you know, this is common with deflating ego and all of those mm. other phrases that we use to get someone to be malleable to this direction. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and it's not helpful. And the problem with chronic relapser is, um, you know, well, relapse is, is found to be pejorative. We now use return to use. Uh, mm-hmm. But labeling someone in that way doesn't give space for their journey in recovery. Mm-hmm. And it also shames them, you know, because not everybody wants abstinence as a recovery goal. And, you know, if we continually shame someone for not getting it the first time, then we actually push them away. Mm-hmm. It yeah, they don't want to come back. No, mm-hmm. it doesn't extend the hand of recovery to them. It doesn't mm-hmm. welcome them to say, we will always be here for you. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't provide an alternative solution or another pathway. Um, and it, it really creates that hierarchy that we talk about so much with, mm-hmm. you know, that we want to kind of move away from with abstinence being the ultimate goal, uh, when the ultimate goal is actually, you know, continuing towards a dynamic process of recovery that's individualized and that is to, you know, moves towards wellness. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that you mentioned um, junkie and addict and alcoholic. So this is, there's actually a lot of, um, there's been a lot of conversation, uh, especially on social media about whether these terms are terms that we've kind of reclaimed for ourselves or if these are terms that really are harmful. And, um, you know, there's definitely a, um, a lot of, you know, some uh, pushback. Yeah, there's a lot of pushback. People have a lot of loyalty to those terms. So yeah. It's kind of an interesting dynamic. Yeah, they do, because they believe that that language is representative of their recovery, mm-hmm. you know, in the same way that the program is the beholder of their sobriety. Mm-hmm. And and actually, you know, when we've talked about this in, in episodes, did AA save your life or did you, you know, mm-hmm. actually the reality is that the people themselves hold their recovery. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people believe that that's incumbent upon a higher power or whatever, whatever your recovery looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, but by, by, we're not saying, the research is not saying don't use those terms in mutual aid meetings. So yeah, so if you're in AA or if you're in NA or twelve step groups or other, um, you know, within those types of meetings that are in the recovery community, um, it you know it it can be something that people find empowering or, or yeah. freeing to, to be use, able to claim that. Yeah, to mm-hmm. use among one another mm-hmm. with a peer in the setting in that private setting. Whereas if you use it in public. 
um, it gives people permission to use that, which is found to be a stigmatizing term. Mm-hmm. And, and especially in the medical profession, um, you know, people don't get good quality treatment when they use those terms. Yeah, it's definitely not trauma informed. Um, and I find, you know, to me, it's similar to something like, you know, diabetic or, um, you know, a person with cancer or a person with a mental health. You know, you wouldn't say like, uh, you know, people I'm do Debbie say, the diabetic. Yeah. Right. And. <laughs> And that is that your whole identity then, yeah. and um, and also then there's judgment associated with it. So something with diabetes, like diabetes, there's some might be some stigma around like lifestyle choices, you know these things, and we'll go into that more when we talk about things like diet culture and all of that, um, and stigma around size and these things. But um, but with addiction, I think it's even more prevalent because, you know, there's this idea that it's a choice and that, yeah. um, that, that you're bad if you have a problem with substance use. Yeah. Um, and actually, you know, if you believe in the principles of harm reduction, people have a right to use drugs. Mm-hmm. You know, there is no good or bad. People do use drugs. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it becomes a problem for people. Um, yeah. <clears throat> you know, and it's up to that individual person if they want to do something about that. Um, yeah. yeah, and you're not a bad person if you do struggle with those things. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so sober but not in recovery. I mean, we could have a whole episode on what's wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that people fall into a, you know, into kind of two different camps around this. So... You know, it's used by predominantly 12-step groups where they can say that you, so essentially, and I, and I think dry drunk falls into this category too, so yeah. that you can be sober or abstinent, um, but you're not in recovery unless you're practicing a program of recovery. Well, unless you're in the 12-step group. Well, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right? And, and you know, and I, I, I want to mention this, um, that, you know, that the a friend of mine, Adam Sludd, he's a recovery advocate and a coordinator of peer program. He says, I think one of the most unhelpful recovery terms is the word program. We created a paradigm which says that unless someone is engaged in some sort of programmatic recovery, they're doing it wrong. It robs people of the opportunity to have a self-directed recovery, which is the strongest kind. Mm, mm. I, I love that. That's really great. We need a bell for Adam. Yeah. You know, because... That's and and that's said so many times, you know, like, yeah, great for you, good for you that you're sober, you know, not in recovery, but you're sober and uh but what program are you working? Because if you're not working a program, then you're gonna return to use. Yeah, and it's really interesting because I had a, an example of this. I had a um family member who's close to me who was sober from the time I was about two years old and um and he didn't attend meetings anymore mm. by the you know, by the time I had enough awareness to know about meetings, um, he was no longer attending. And I, and I wondered about that. And when I got, um, into, you know, recovery and I went to AA, I definitely was kind of like, oh yeah, he must be a dry drunk and these things. But actually now that I have left 12 step and I've had some time to reflect on these things, I really see that, um, he did an amazing job raising, you know, raising his family and work, being a hard worker, a worker among workers and all of these things. And for him, you know, he just didn't, he didn't feel connected in that way to the program. And so he found recovery, um, his own path of recovery. Right. And so to have that judgment of him, even though, you know, he's been sober for, uh, geez, let's see, trying to do the math here, (laughs) something like 38 years or something, Yeah. you know, and, and 
I think we should celebrate that regardless of whether he goes to meetings or not. Yeah, we definitely need a bell. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And and again, it, it goes to the hierarchy, doesn't it? With abstinence being the ultimate goal, you know, we've got to move away from that. Yeah, and that there's only one right way to right. do recovery. And it's shaming. You know, imagine shaming someone that is working towards improving their wellness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty messed up. Yeah. Well, and it only perpetuates the problem, right? Because if you feel shame, you're going to want to find ways to numb out or self-soothe. Exactly. And so um, contributing to someone else's shame, I think, is the the real harm. And so that's, I, Mm. I feel like that's really why we are so passionate about this topic yeah. that we want to reduce stigma and shame for everyone who seeks recovery yeah. um, to make it more accessible. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So the the phrase recovery light is used to refer to people um, that use medication assisted recovery. Oh, I never, I actually haven't heard this phrase before. Yeah. Um, Brent mentioned it. Oh, um, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Brent. We love Brent. <laughs> yeah. We're going to have uh, him on at some point. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. So, suggesting that anybody that takes medication, you know, and actually SAMHSA have said this is the preferred, um, you know, the suggested form of treatment for substance use disorder. You know, I don't understand why. Well, I do understand why, because people in 12-step programs don't believe that um, taking any kind of medication like Suboxone or you know, any kind of agonist or antagonist is is a form of recovery because um, they don't believe that if um, you're completely abstinent. Yeah, we should we should pause here and just say that it in general, the recovery community, the 12 step recovery communities um, have this attitude. And we personally experience people talking about others who are using medication to support their recovery um, in this way. Yeah. And you know, we're not saying that everyone no. in 12 step believes this, but that's the general um, culture that we're. It know. is. And I remember when I was two weeks sober, I was introduced to a guy who was, <clears throat> you know, he was an considered an elder in AA you know he was over 20 years sober and he said to me I will not sponsor anybody that takes antidepressants because it ruins their spiritual experience Mm. oh that's really oh that's really and I know people that have killed themselves who suffer with suffered really bad with depression but because Mm -hmm. of the stigma around antidepressants within fellowships they didn't take the medication that they needed so I have a huge problem with people stepping on the toes of medication or believing that they're doctors in some way. And I cannot emphasize enough that we are not doctors. We are not doctors. If you're not a doctor, it's a bad idea to give people medical advice. Yeah. (laughs) And, and step off. Like if you feel that you have the right to question someone's medication and you're not their doctor, step back. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, we do, we do, um, in general, we try to call in versus call out, but I think in this instance, this is a really dangerous um, thing to do. And yeah, so, because people die. Yeah, people die of it. And, you know, depression is a serious illness, and people definitely need um, to, you know, be, be treated for that. And you're not the person to treat them unless you're their actual doctor. All right, we're going to take a pause here so that we can hear from our awesome sponsors. The Alana Club of Portland is proud to sponsor the Breaking Free podcast. 
Your recovery, your way, is at the heart of our approach to recovery support services. As the largest and most diversely programmed non-clinical recovery support center in the United States, we've been proudly breaking barriers and forging new pathways for years to ensure everyone has a home in recovery. From peer mentoring to recovery CrossFit, from trauma-informed yoga to mindfulness training, the Alano Club of Portland has a recovery pathway that's right for you. Here at Unity Recovery, we believe recovery should be the expectation, not the exception. Whether you find support with mutual aid, harm reduction, medication, or yoga, your recovery is beautiful and worth celebrating. Learn more and become part of the recovery movement at unityrecovery.org. And we're back. So let's talk about the fact that some of these unhelpful slogans are unhelpful because of people that suffer with trauma. And, you know, Dr. Gabor Mate says that he wrote In the Realm of Hungry Ghosts and When the Body Says No, they're really incredible books. I highly recommend reading them. He, you know, <clears throat> he says that, you know, he believes that 95% of people, or 8 to 90% rather, who suffer with substance use disorder have suffered some kind of trauma. Mm-hmm. And... That that is my only criticism, um, you know, I, I of twelve steps. I would say my other feedback is more experiential and the things that didn't work for me. Mm. Um, I feel like there is no room for trauma within the twelve step program, and nor does it purport to heal trauma. Mm-hmm. But given the propensity of people in recovery to suffer with trauma, there needs to be more trauma-informed practices. And Dr. Jamie Marrick talks about this book. She actually wrote a book called Trauma and the 12 Steps. We're going to have her on at some point. We need a bell for her. We need a bell um, for Jamie. We love Jamie. mm -hmm. Um, So, so, you know, she's mentioned this before. She said that, you know, saying the phrase like, take the cotton wool out of your ears and put it in your mouth or our secrets keep us sick are actually quite damaging for people who have suffered with some kind of trauma. Imagine if you had suffered with some kind of sexual trauma and you're telling, you're being told that those secrets are going to keep you... Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're only as sick as your secrets, and if your secret is that you were um, sexually abused, it's really um, traumatizing. Yeah, you... and, mm-hmm. and suggesting that, um, you know, that you share that within the program in a sponsor-sponsee relationship is not the right format for that Mm -hmm. you know if we're sharing trauma it needs to be with a trained professional in a safe environment Mm -hmm. and you know ultimately the role of a sponsor and we should probably have an episode on this is to take you through the steps yeah yeah absolutely and I think you know each person can decide that for themselves whether their sponsor is someone who's a safe person to have this conversation with but we did talk about this a little bit in the sex and recovery um, podcast with uh, Jennifer Mateza um, that'll be coming up as well. And um, and I agree. And, you know, the fact that we're encouraged to tell our sponsors every, you know, thing that's private or that we consider a secret, and that's not necessarily the same as a resentment. And so, um, you know, and even if it is the same as a resentment, it says in the big book, you know, that you can talk to your, you know, it says your priest, I think. But, you know, the idea you could take that that those parts to your therapist or to your doctor or to a close friend that you do know you can trust. Um, But safety is definitely not the focus here. And I think there's definitely a room for or a need for that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I I think you make a good point about discernment 
you know, mm. the ability to, and I would, I would counter that by saying, you know, I, I may have gotten into an argument about this on Facebook, <laughs> that, you know, it's all very well for us to say, um, to say that we should be able to pick somebody that is safe, but what if you don't know how? Yeah, absolutely. You know, like, I didn't have that relational ability in early recovery. Mm -hmm. I didn't know who was safe. I made the assumption that years equated to safety, years Mm. of recovery equated to safety Mm -hmm. and experience and values, Mm. and the same values as me, like trust and loyalty and safety. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think that discernment is valuable, but I agree that it's a skill. It is, (laughs) And we may not have that skill at the beginning um, or even, you know, further on down the road. Um, And, you know, in talking about this, it's a really interesting concept. Um, I think, you know, we are, you know, the idea of like we're only as sick as our secrets um, some people don't have any secrets. They tell, you know, like we may not have boundaries. Yeah. We might tell everyone everything. I did. And did. we can still, you know, like we may not recognize that we need to ha- be more boundaried yeah. in order actually to be healthier. And so um, the, the idea that you're only as sick as your secrets, not only is there other ways that you may be, quote unquote, you know, sick, <laughs> but also it might be that um, you need to go the other direction with it rather than, you know, to have more um, – kind of privacy and keep yourself safe in that way rather yeah. than less. And so it's it's kind of doubly harmful to me. Yeah, it's really challenging. And I think uh, that's a skill, mm-hmm. a skill we learn in recovery. It's just, some people have it, you know, and that, and that was the disagreement that I had with someone on Facebook is that any woman in their, you know, in their 30s should be able to make that decision. And, and I would argue that that's not always the case. You know, if you've been heavily... Uh, you know, dealing with substance use disorder, you know, on an acute scale mm-hmm. um, during your 20s and 30s, you've missed out a lot of emotional development. Yeah. Yeah. And so we all deserve to have the right to use discernment yes. um, and have choice in the matter. But it would potentially be really helpful to start considering safety in the language that we use and in what we're encouraging people to disclose and with whom. Um, because, you know, it's also, um, even if you have great boundaries and you have the ability to use discernment, um, you may feel pressure by the program to tell someone everything and that may not be safe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think, you know, really in, in, in closing, we want to, we want to encourage people, we invite you to think about some of the common phrases that you use and to think, you know, is this helpful for someone that might have suffered with trauma or is this helpful for somebody where abstinence might not be their ultimate goal? Have we have we thought for a moment to ask them, mm-hmm. you know, what's your goal mm-hmm. here? And, and is the language that we're using shaming them and pushing them away? Yeah, yeah, that's a great, um, a great way to frame that. And I think it's valuable to to also recognize like if we're having defensiveness about that then get curious about where is that defensiveness coming from right. um, and you know our belief is that each person has their own um, experience and their own you know pathway patchwork whatever you want to call it um, of recovery. and that's valid and that yours is valid yeah and so if we all feel that our own is if we're honoring of others it actually can validate our own even more because we're recognizing that I have my own um autonomy and my own agency here and so my pathway of recovery is valid and important and Mm. worked for me right and so other people's can work for them 
Because ultimately we have the same goal, which is one of wellness. Yeah. You know, I think, yeah, that and, and making recovery accessible to anyone who seeks it. Yeah. So the, the way that we get there is irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people would argue with you, but I believe that yeah. that's, that's true, that each person, you know, it, it's valid regardless of whether it looks like mine or not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that mine doesn't invalidate yours. Yeah, right? totally. Mine's better than yours. <laughs> Which I think, I think, you know. Oh, mine I've, is better than yours. We uh, might need a whole episode right? on mine is better than and yours. I, and I think, you know, I was I was thinking about this in the shower this morning. You know, as I advocate for all of these things, you know, around language, around individualized pathways and, you know, moving away from 12-step programs because that was right for me. You know, I have to reflect on some of the things I've said, Mm. you know, I've used shaming language. Mm -hmm. I've told somebody to stop what they were doing and go to a meeting. Mm -hmm. You know, I was that sponsor. Um, So, you know, I am learning just as much as anybody else here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's why I've become passionate about this is because I somebody challenged me and I did some research and I opened my mind to other possibilities. Mm. And when I realize the extent of the problem with substance use disorder and just that 10% of people have actually get the help that they need. Mm. And one of the major barriers is stigma Mm -hmm. that prevents people from getting help. So I don't want to contribute towards that, but nor am I perfect is what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, we're definitely not perfect. And um, we are wanting to encourage everyone to start having conversations around this and really be curious and consider what an impact we're having on others. Mm-hmm. Um, and and again, we're still learning. So there's, you know, on a regular basis, I'm learning um, that I, you know, there's there's things we just, you know, we're interviewing Robert and um, Robert Afshard. I'll give him a bell. And he talked about the ways in which we talk about our recovery and how we can sometimes, you know, stigmatize others by that kind of good or bad. Like I've Mm. been redeemed because I'm sober for X number of years. Um, And so that there's a good and bad there. And um, it's really an interesting um, perspective and something I hadn't actually considered much before. So I'm trying to be more thoughtful about it and talk about it and kind of figure out what feels right to me. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And and I think when we're approaching this, we do the calling out versus calling in. Mm -hmm. So what we mean by that is by you know, approaching somebody and, you know, instead of calling them out on a Facebook, you know, post, maybe instead send them a message and say, hey, I'm not sure if you're aware of this research in that area. I know you use this language, you know, instead of being kind of argumentative and um, confrontational, which Mm -hmm. is where I think people get defensive. Mm -hmm. um, And that's what causes arguments. And I what it makes me really sad to spend a lot of time on Facebook looking at these arguments, mm-hmm. you know, where people are fighting within the recovery community. And, and it's kind of ironic to me to think, here's a person in recovery speaking up about the recovery because they believe in fighting stigma and yet they're stigmatizing people within their own community. Mm-hmm. Um, I would encourage us to to think twice about doing that and you know and again I've been there and I've had those arguments mm-hmm. um but that's something I am actively working on to call it in and say things more respectfully mm-hmm. I think yeah I think we could have a whole episode on calling in versus calling <laughs> yeah, we out could. um but one of the things I love about you and that our relationship is that we have the agreement that we yeah. can do that with each other yeah and you do it in a really gentle way and I can just be like oh I hadn't thought about that cool I'll change you know that language or I'll think about 
about that or we can talk some more about it. Um, and so I want to invite that into my other relationships, but um, I find it so valuable to have that. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Thanks everybody for joining. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Breaking Free Podcast, your recovery, your way. We want to hear from you. Email us at hello at breakingfreerecovery.com or join our Facebook group, Breaking Free Community. Tell us what Breaking Free means to you.